Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 this morning. We're going to start in verse uh, 18. Uh, Last week we had the opportunity of unveiling our uh, new theme for this year. And so uh, that right up there, that's our theme from last year. It was all about uh, being witnesses and sharing our faith. Uh, The theme for this year is becoming disciples, making disciples, growing in grace and knowledge. And uh, maybe you're here and you're saying, well, why isn't it up there? Well, that's because it's still coming in the mail, but uh, it should be here on Tuesday. And so uh, next Sunday, uh, we will have uh, the new banner up there, as well as we're putting together um, a bookmark uh, for you uh, to have as well, and uh, as well as a a calendar of events uh, for this next year. Uh, laid out all of the things that are uh, we're planning to do this next year here at Wilton Bible. And so uh, all of that is is uh, coming probably next week. Uh, we'll have some of those things. And so uh, you'll want to continue to be a part of our services so that you have some of those. But this is a, this is a good theme uh, because it kind of picks up where we left off last year. So if last year was uh, witnessing, uh, this year is really... Uh, taking someone that has gotten saved and and discipling them, teaching them what it means uh, to be a Christian. But as I asked at the end of the service last week, I asked the question, uh, who here has never been uh, discipled? And some of you raised your hand that you've never had a Christian come alongside you and uh, encourage you in your Christian walk, teach you some of the things of like, uh, how to pray and, and how to read the Bible and why why do we give money in the offering plate? And then some of you also raised your hand and said, you know what, uh, I am considering wanting to be discipled uh, this next year. So those are some uh, some great things to look forward to. And uh, like I said last week, we do have a lot of special uh, messages in store. Uh, but our message today is about the first disciples. Because, again, our theme is taken here from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so last week we talked about that last command is not to go, and it's not to baptize, and it's not to teach even though that's what we would think it would be, actually the last command that Jesus Christ gave before he ascended into heaven was make disciples. And so his goal, and really God's primary plan for the church, is for disciples of Jesus to develop other men and women into disciples. And so it's not just the pastor, it's not just the elders, it's not just the deacons, Really, the idea of the church and God's desire for the church is that we all play parts in each other's lives. That we're encouraging one another in our faith. Because some of us are strong in some areas and weak in other areas. And some of us are strong in those areas and weak in other areas. And so we have an opportunity as a church to encourage one another in our faith. And so today, as we kind of consider that theme of of making disciples, we would want to ask the question, well, since Jesus Christ is the one who is telling us, go and make disciples, our question would be, well, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? 
what did Jesus Christ mean when he said, go and make disciples? And to really understand what he meant, we'd really have to get an idea of how he discipled his disciples. Now, again, last week we talked about this idea that immediately when we think about the idea of disciple, we think about the 12 disciples. So we think about those that, that uh, uh, t- uh, followed Jesus around, learned from Jesus. They saw the miracles. Uh, they they uh, saw the resurrection. And so oftentimes we think about the, the uh, disciples as the 12. But really, when the Bible uses the word disciples, it's in a more general way. Now, definitely it does talk about the 12 disciples. But a disciple is simply a follower of a teacher. And so for us as Christians, we bear the name Christian because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so really a great place for us to start our study off this year is those first disciples. And so I had the opportunity this last week to study again uh, the first disciples and uh, go through that. And uh, I think we got some really, uh, we really some really great ideas uh, this morning as we think about uh, the disciples. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 4. We're just going to read a handful of verses. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw his two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. All right, let's stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for an opportunity to gather together as as your church, uh, to worship you in music, to worship you in giving our tithes and our offering, but also, Lord, worshiping you as we gather together around your word. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to start off the week, uh, gather together as your church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to be encouraged in your word. So I, I pray, Lord, that you would use your word as you see fit in our lives, that you would use your spirit uh, to direct our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we just read the call of the first disciples. And so we have the first four disciples uh, that, were, that were called. And really, it's, it's quite remarkable as we read Because we read this, and this is what is remarkable. It says this in verse 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so Jesus Christ, uh, according to here in Matthew, uh, he just says, hey, follow me. And what happens? They begin to follow him. Matter of fact, the very next uh, verse says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So there was like no hesitation at all. Jesus called them. And they followed him. We see again the same thing happens in verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, mending their nets. And he called to them. And notice again their response. Immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. 
Now, that seems pretty remarkable for a man to be walking by, by the lake there and to be able to call out to fishermen and say, follow me. And they leave everything and they follow him. And so for me, I think, well, that's quite remarkable that they would leave their, their, their livelihood, that they would leave what they were doing and follow a man that they did not know. And if we only had Matthew, we would think that's exactly how it happened. But actually, as we look at the other Gospels, it actually shines a little bit more light on how they were called. Matter of fact, Matthew and Mark give us a summary of how the apostles, or not the apostles, but the, the uh, disciples were called. And so they were they were called, they were there on the, on the lake, they were knitting, the, they were taking care of their nets, cleaning up their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left. That's a summary of what happened. But today we're going to dive down, we're going to kind of uh, look at things a little closer, and we're going to dig out some truths here, some things for us to consider as we think about making disciples. Because we would probably all agree that making disciples is not as easy as going, down, going through Walmart and saying, hey, you look like you need Christ, follow me. And people just leave what they're doing. They leave their grocery cart and they follow you out and you lead them to Christ. We understand that that doesn't happen today. And of course, could it happen for Christ? It definitely could. But we understand that that's not how we make disciples and actually, as we can begin to look at how Jesus Christ made disciples, we see that that's not exactly how it happened either. And so what I want you to do is I want you to turn over to John chapter 1 and verse 35. So we're going to start in verse 35. So turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now where I'm taking us is before these four are called. What we're, gonna, what we're about to read is when Jesus actually begins to talk to a couple of John the Baptist's disciples. So this takes place, actually, Jesus is there with John the Baptist there in John chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have your Bible today, I'm going to put all of these on the wall for us. But it gives us a little bit of what happened prior to that call. All right, so again, uh, this is really before Jesus uh, is is really made himself known. He has made himself known in a in a way. And John uh, the Baptist has made himself known. So we have some special things going on here. And so notice there in verse thirty five, and it says this: the next day again, John was standing with with his two disciples. Now this is not John the disciple. All right. And so sometimes when we read the word or name John in the in the gospel of John, uh, we might assume that what we're talking about is is uh, John the disciple. Uh, but that's not the case uh, here. This is actually John the Baptist uh, that we're reading about. Now, John the Baptist is an important figure at this time. Because there's something that uh, we're not aware of that they would have been aware of at this time, which is there is some silent years in which. There were no prophets, and God was not speaking to Israel. And so there is a silent time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Israel hasn't had a prophet for about 400 years now. 
And so that's, that's quite a while for, for Israel not to hear from God. And so while they are anticipating, they are awaiting God speaking to them. And John the Baptist is a prophet. And so he has set up shop outside in the wilderness. And people are willing to leave uh, the comforts of, of, of their towns and go out into the wilderness because they're interested in knowing what God has to say to them. And so John begins to draw a crowd, and, and more than that, he actually has his own disciples as well. And so John is the forerunner of the Messiah. And so really, he's proclaiming three things, all right? Three things over and over again. Number one, he is warning of the future judgment to come. And so he's warning people. And so people are interested, what does this prophet of God have to say? And he's warning people of that future judgment. But there's a second thing he does. He calls them to repentance in light of that judgment. And so he says, judgment is coming. You need to prepare. You need to get things right. And then he does a third thing. He demands repentance by baptism. So he says, all right, there is judgment coming. That's number one. Number two, you need to repent. Then he says, number three, if you really want to repent, you're going to do that by being baptized. Now, this is a different baptism than what we have today. All right, this is baptism of repentance. Today, as we baptize in the church and what we see in the New Testament, is the baptism of the believer is baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's really an identification with Jesus Christ. And so it's not the idea of, of allowing our sins to be forgiven, although that is what John is doing. Uh, today we see a different, time, a, a different type of baptism. And sometimes I've heard a Baptist uh, joke that John the Baptist was the first Baptist. And uh, he wasn't quite the first Baptist because uh, he wasn't baptizing in the same way uh, that the Baptist church uh, baptizes. And so John is, he's, he's unknown, all right? He he's, has a following. He has his own uh, disciples. And so there in verse 35, the next day again, John was standing, that is John the Baptist was standing with his disciples. Now let's continue and see what happens here. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, who is John the Baptist referring to? Well, he's referring to Jesus here. And he says something that actually creates a spark in his disciples. This is John the Baptist's disciples' ears. And notice what happens in verse 37. And the two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. You know, John the Baptist, he must have been good at what he was doing. Because remember, he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. His whole goal was to prepare the way for the Messiah. When he identifies the Messiah, here is the Lamb. His two disciples, they hear that, they leave John, and they begin to follow Jesus. John has done exactly what God told him to do, commissioned to do, he is preparing the way. And then notice there in verse 38, Jesus turned and he saw them following. These are those two disciples of John the Baptist. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, Where, what, uh, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
All right, so this is a roundabout way. These two disciples here, they're saying, you know what, where, where are you going? We want to learn from you. We want you to teach us. So again, John the Baptist has done exactly what he's supposed to do. He's prepared the way and prepared these two disciples to follow after Jesus. As soon as Jesus comes on the scene, they immediately want to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around and goes, what are you, why are you guys following me? What are you seeking? And really their reply is, we want to learn more about you. And notice what Christ said. And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for what was about the 10th hour. What did they talk about? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus Christ taught John's disciples that day. Maybe he was preparing them for that call which he would make. Again, he has at this point not called them. They simply started following him without a call. Again, because John the Baptist had already prepared them that I am not the person you should be following, but really you should be following the Messiah. Matter of fact, people asked John, are you the Messiah? And John's reply was, no, I am not the Messiah. And so he had a particular goal. And this actually brings us to our first insight, which is this. When people follow Jesus, their lives are changed. Now, why do I say that? And that is because of what we just read in that previous verse. And it says this, And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, notice the detail that we see here in this verse. Now, where does that detail come from? Well, we're about to find out who one of those two disciples is. One of those two disciples is Andrew, the brother, the brother of Peter. All right, we're about to find out who that is. But the other person is unnamed. We don't know who the other one is, but maybe we do. Although he's not aimed, named, many people believe that this is John the disciple. And uh, why? Because oftentimes uh, when he refers to himself, he, he kind of leaves himself kind of off, uh, like uh, off the page, we might say. And so he refers to himself in different ways throughout his gospel. And maybe he just simply did not name himself. But the detail tells us that it was an eyewitness that was there. Someone knew exactly what had happened, that they were able to list the detail of even the time. Now, that leads us to this. That first time that John spent with Jesus, that that made an impact in his life that he never forgot. That he remembered the point at which he talked with Jesus. He even remembered the time in which he talked with Jesus. So he had those details worked out, and again, John is writing this gospel way after any of the other gospels. He's writing this later on in his life. And yet that detail of when he first met Jesus still stands out in his life. And that is because of our first takeaway. When people follow Jesus, their lives are changed. All right. 
Now, here today, um, uh, I got saved when I was five years old. I don't remember everything. I remember some details. All right, and so from those details, I could say, okay, this is where I lived, and based upon where I lived, I know that I was in, uh, within this age group because we moved around, our family moved around, and so I know that I was about five years old. I also know that where I was in the class, and so based upon those things, I have an idea of when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But sometimes when I talk to people, uh, other Christians, they can't exactly put their finger on when they became a Christian. And that's fine, all right? And so we don't have to have a particular time. But we do have to realize this, that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, our life does I mean, you can say today, you could say this, you could say, well, you know, I, I, I am a Christian and I got saved on October 5th, 1995. You could say, I wrote it down in my Bible. This is when I got saved. But you know what? If you continue to live as if you're not a Christian, that would simply point to the fact that that what you wrote down in your Bible is not really when you got saved. Because really... As followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should change. There should be an impact that Jesus Christ has in our life. And we see that there is an impact here. And so let's continue on here in, in verse 40. One of the two, this is one of the two disciples who heard John speak and followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now let me just stop there. We know a lot about Peter all right, and so Peter, he was, he was, uh, he was the man that, that stepped out and he walked on the water. He was the man that pulled out the sword and, and cut off uh, the servant of the high priest's ear. Uh, he, he was always the man that was kind of out front. He was very vocal about things, but Andrew wasn't. Matter of fact, oftentimes we think about the disciples, and if I, if I had a questionnaire and, and I said, okay, we're going to take a questionnaire right now on your phone, and I want you to, to pick out, I want you to name as many disciples as you can. You could probably, the majority of us, we would get John, and we would get Peter, and we'd get James, and then maybe we'd start to struggle. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's Andrew. Oh, yeah, 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 there's Matthew. And maybe we couldn't list them all. And yet here in our account we find that the person who told Peter about Jesus is Andrew, his brother. And so Andrew, as well, his life was impacted when he spent some time with Jesus. So much so that he immediately went home and he talked to his brother and he told him. And so uh, notice what he says in verse 41. He first, found, uh, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah which means Christ. And so he is excited. The time that he interacted with Christ or Jesus uh, really made an impact in his life. And, and so notice uh, what happens next. And he brought him, that is, Andrew brought him, that is, Simon Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called um, Cephas, which means Peter. Now, something interesting happens here. 
that, again, this is prior to Jesus actually calling Peter, Simon Peter, to be his disciple. The very first time that Simon is introduced to Jesus, Jesus changes his name from Simon Peter, which means rock. Now, when you begin to kind of look over Peter's uh, story in the Gospels, he did not demonstrate a rock, all right? Uh, he often, oftentimes, he was compulsive. Oftentimes, he spoke without thinking. And so he was not perceived in the gospel as a rock. And yet, right off the bat, the very first time that Jesus Christ is introduced to him, he changes his name. And why does he do that? Because Jesus Christ was able to not only see him where he currently was, but also what God's plan for him was into the future, what Peter would do. And even though he was kind of on shaky ground as, as a disciple, he was one of the pillars of the New Testament church. And so just as Jesus named him a rock, changed his name from Simon to, to Peter, that demonstrated that God had a purpose for Peter from the very start. And really, that is our second takeaway. That's our second thing that we should consider this morning, which is followers of Jesus have purpose. Now, we don't all have the same purpose, all right? But we all have purposes. Matter of fact, some of us, maybe we are like Peter, all right? And so maybe uh, some of us, we... We have a tendency to uh, just rush into things, and and maybe we have an, a a, a uh, maybe it's our personality. We speak out before anyone else speaks out, and we want our voice to be heard. But that's not all of us, right? And so, not all of us are comfortable up front. Instead, some of us are a little bit more like Andrew. Andrew was just as important as Peter. But God had a different purpose for Andrew. Andrew was more of the quiet guy. He was the one that was listening and taking things in. His life was changing. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ, just like Peter, but he was a quiet disciple, unlike Peter. And so even though uh, sometimes we remember those who have the strongest voice, Really, Andrew is just as important as Peter. It is Andrew that actually introduces Peter to Jesus. And so some remarkable things are happening here. And so followers of Jesus have purpose, and we have purpose as well. We may not all be called to uh, be a Peter. Maybe we're more like an Andrew, or maybe we're like one of the other disciples uh, but surely uh, we have all been called to a specific purpose. God has a plan for us. And so I want to just encourage you with this, all right? Sometimes this comes into our mind. I'm not as important as the pastor. I'm not as important as the elders. I'm not as important as the deacons. And let me just encourage you with this that we all have a purpose to play here at Wilson Bible Church and within our community, and all of our purposes are important to God. 
And so never think to ourselves, well, because I'm not a pastor or I'm not a pastor's wife, that I'm not important. Because you are important. You're important to the Lord. He chose you. He called you. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have a purpose. All right. Now we're going to flip over to Luke. Luke chapter 5. Flip over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're going to start there in verse 1. And just so that we can organize this in our minds. Matthew and Mark, they give us a summary of the, the calling of the four disciples. All right, We started off with Matthew this morning. If we read Mark, it would be very similar. Even some of the exact same words being used. So Matthew and Mark are a summary. And John... And I believe John is writing this because it's his personal eyewitness account. He tells us a little bit about what happened when he first met Jesus. And then uh, he, he writes a little bit about uh, Andrew and Peter in their first time as well. And now we come to Luke. And Luke actually gives us a more rich account of that call. All right. And so, again, Matthew and Mark, they give us a summary and they say something along this line. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left what they were doing, and they followed him. That's a summary of the account. In Luke, we're actually given a richer account. And so we're going to be looking at that richer account of the disciples. The calling of the disciples, I should say. And so notice there, starting in verse 1, it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gethsemane. So Jesus has already started preaching. He's already started healing in the book of Luke. There's already people that are following him. But up to this time, he has not called any disciples. He has started his ministry, but not called any disciples. Not yet, at least. In verse 2, And he saw two boats by the lake, and the fishermen had gone out of them, and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, again, that is Simon Peter, he asked him to, pu uh, to push out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. All right, so let's, let's get an idea of what's happening here. Jesus has already started teaching. He has already started healing. People have already started following Jesus. So much so that he wants to speak to them. And the group is so big that what he does is he pushes out from shore. And who does he run into when he's there? He runs into Peter and Andrew. All right. Again, in the account of John, he's already been introduced to Peter and Andrew. So let me just say this. This is not by accident. All right. It's not that Peter... And, and, um, and Andrew were just in the right place at the right time. They were able to be used uh, by God. Instead, we really see that this is an organized event, that Jesus already had a plan. He had already been introduced to these men. And so here they are. Uh, Jesus comes back into their life. And something remarkable happens after that teaching is done. He says this in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put off into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will, I will let down the nets. <laughs> this is uh, 
an, an instance of, of uh, Peter being maybe putting his foot in his mouth. So what his reply is to, to Jesus. So Jesus says, go in and uh, we're going to do a little bit of fishing here. I want you to drop down your nets. And this is Peter's reply. Well, I, I, ju- I, I just don't want you to have high expectations. We've really been fishing all night and we haven't gotten anything. So I, Jesus, I just want you to expect that if we do this, uh, we, we're probably not going to catch anything. We haven't caught anything all night long. He doesn't want Jesus to be surprised by the account of no fish. But it wasn't Jesus Christ who was going to be surprised, right? It was actually going to be Peter that is surprised. But still, Peter has that, that relationship that uh, he realizes his role, and so he is obedient uh, to the leadership of Christ. And so his reply at the very end there, but your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. And so he says, whatever you want me to do, uh, that's uh, what I will do. And then notice there in verse 6, and when they have done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their other partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And so here, Peter, he's He's considering what Jesus Christ has just asked him, and, and he, and he kind of lets Christ down easily, and he says, just want to let you know we're probably not going to catch anything. We haven't caught anything all night. But if that's really what you want me to do, that's, that's what I'll do. And he does. And there are so many fish that they have to call their partner in to also help them uh, with the fish. And notice what it says. So many fish uh, that that filled the boats that they began to sink, and so this they caught nothing at night. All night they had been fishing and absolutely nothing, and Jesus comes along, and they catch so much so that their boats begin to sink. Now they don't sink, sink, but they they're beginning to sink, and so uh, they they uh, are able to get those to shore. And so the third takeaway this morning. Followers of Jesus trust the Lord, or we could say followers of Jesus trust Jesus. All right, followers of Jesus trust Jesus. Now, we might be tempted. We might be tempted to think, you know what, there are some things that are just outside of of the possibility of the Lord. And so sometimes uh, we think about people getting saved, and and we've we've said things like this, that person will never get saved. But we don't know that. Or maybe we've, we've thought things like this. That marriage will never be restored. And so we could be tempted to think that God is not as big as he truly is or as powerful as he truly is. And so we forget that in the Bible, it talks about God's power. This is when God was talking to Abraham. This is from Galatians eighteen fourteen. And uh, this is when uh, the Lord tells Abraham that they are going to have a child. And it says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he says, at the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, this is Sarah that's been barren for, for many years. Abraham and Sarah are in their old age. And, and uh, what is told to Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord. Matter of fact, the angel Gabriel says the same thing to Mary. 
And so uh, when they're talking about the Christ and they're talking about the birth of John the Baptist, and so uh, here in Luke one thirty-seven, uh, angel, the angel Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So sometimes we tend to limit God. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus Christ said. In, in Matthew 19, verse 23, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? That is a good question. And this is what Jesus' reply is. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so really as we think about being followers of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ trust Jesus. And that's what Peter had to do out on that lake. All right? He hadn't caught fish all night. Jesus said, go cast your net down in the deep. Peter's reply was, you know what? We haven't caught anything all night. I, I, I just don't have high expectations. And Peter was surprised at the yield, so much so they had to call their partner over to help them gather up all the fish that Jesus had given to them. And so back there in Luke, we're back here in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, and it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now that is a good reply. And so what Peter just saw, what Simon Peter just saw, brought him to his knees, and he realized, you know what? I messed up. I, I'm a sinner. And the truth is, Peter was always a sinner. None of the disciples were perfect. They were all sinners. And yet, Jesus Christ called them to follow him. Jesus Christ called them to make disciples as well. And so sometimes in our own lives, we are tempted to think this. Well, you know what? I'm not as good as so-and-so. Or how could God use me because of, and we fill in the blank. But I just want to remind us this morning that I am a sinner. And that you are a sinner. And that our elders are sinners and our deacons are sinners. That we are not perfect individuals Unfortunately, church leadership can let down a church. Why? Because we are not perfect individuals. But God does not call perfect individuals to serve him. He calls broken individuals to serve him. When you think about Peter and every time that he put his foot in his mouth, but it was by God's grace that he became a pillar of the church. And so he was not a perfect man, and I am not a perfect man, and you are not perfect people. 
But that does not mean that God cannot use you right where you are. Because again, you do have some strengths that other people don't have. I don't know your strengths because I don't know you the way you know yourself. Matter of fact, some of you can play the piano. And, and I think that maybe uh, Hannah over here would enjoy a, a, a Sunday off. Some of you can sing. And you should be a part of the choir. And some of you have other talents that maybe you're keeping quiet. But really you should be using them for the Lord. And so it's not just individuals who are perfect get to serve the Lord but really, it is broken people who serve the Lord. And Peter realized he was broken. And Peter had his challenges. But through God's grace, Peter became that pillar, a pillar of the New Testament church. There, let's continue here in verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now, uh, from now on, you will be catching men. And so his partners here is James and John. Again, one of those first disciples that, that met Christ prior to the calling. One of those two disciples that we just read about in the Gospel of John. And so again, we have Matthew. He's in one boat with Peter. We have John. He's in another boat. And these people are actually partners. They're fishing partners. And they get this really great catch. And so if we just read Matthew and we just read Mark, what we tend to think is that Jesus came along and he saw some fishermen in the boat. And he said, follow me. And they immediately left what they were doing and they followed him. And that was it. But what we actually find out is Jesus revealed himself to two parties on these boats that Jesus Christ had already spent time teaching these two people that their life was impacted because they followed Jesus and no doubt they went back and they both told each other's brothers so that when it came for Jesus Christ to call them they immediately stopped what they were doing and they followed and this leads us to our last thought today no, I'm sorry, our fourth thought today, which is this. Jesus used everyday events, uh, events to teach truth. And so here Jesus, he, he's talking about fishing, and then he says, I will make you fishers of men. And that's when we get to that very last point. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. And so again, we get a very, a very quick summary in Matthew and Mark. We get a fuller account in Luke, and we get account beforehand in John. And so God uses everyday events to teach. And we as disciples, we can use everyday events as well to teach. And so let me give you some illustrations, because maybe you're thinking here today, really, what can I do? What can I do? So as we think about being disciples, some of you are really good at managing money and possessions. And did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money and possessions? 
Matter of fact, Jesus Christ talked more about money and possessions than any other, any other topic that he talked about. And why? Because oftentimes where we spend our money and what we tend to collect uh, tells us a little bit about who we are and reveals to other people a little bit about who we are. And some of you are really good about managing finances and, and your possessions, and you faithfully and generously give to the Lord. And you know what? Some of us in this room, we need some encouragement like that. And so I don't know. Maybe we ought to have some type of Sunday school class where one of you that have been doing this for, for a long time could sit down and teach us some biblical truth about finances and really how we should be spending our money and how we could honor God with what he has given to us. Because truly, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe we are stewards of what God has given to us. And so maybe there's someone here that would say, you know what, I, I've done this for years now. And maybe that would be a good opportunity for you to come alongside someone and encourage them in their finances and the stewardship of, of their finances the Lord has given to them. Or, or maybe some of you, you, you have already raised children and, and your children are, are serving the Lord. And, and maybe you're someone here that, that says, you, I really poured my life in, and I, I know that it's an amount of God's grace that really is working in their lives. But maybe there is something that you could teach some of us that have families of our own today in our homes. Maybe there's something you could say, you know what? I did this, and it didn't work. And I tried this, and it did work. Or the thing that made the most impact in our family was this. So some of you might be able to encourage some of us that still have family at home or some of us that are going to have teenage girls in the home. So maybe you had teenage girls in your home and you survived. All right. So come and talk to me. All right. Now, I have some really great girls. Um, I have some really great girls, but I'm always told or people tell me, you just wait until they become teenagers. And so uh, I need that encouragement, and you could be that encouragement to me and to others. And so as we think about just regular events in life, it doesn't have to be something like amazing. We don't have to dig into the Bible and find some truth that no one's ever found before and teach that, and now we're a disciple. Instead, a disciple could just be a regular person just encouraging someone, and maybe you know how to take care of a lawn. And you have an opportunity to, to work alongside someone else and to encourage them and say, you know what, all of this is because of the Lord. The Lord is the one that brings the sunlight and the rain, and, and all of this is beautiful. And you think about the nutrients, and just it's amazing how a seed works, that, that it, it, it anticipates the, the right type of soil and the moisture in the soil, and, and somehow, always, the, the seed comes up this way and, and the grass grows this way instead of this way or this way. And it's amazing how God has orchestrated all of this, isn't it? Maybe just have an opportunity just to encourage someone in the Lord just with doing something regular like mowing the grass or blowing the leaves. So using everyday events to teach truth. But one of the last things I want to remind us here in verse 11, it says this, 
when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is our last thing to consider this morning. Being a follower of Jesus may cost you everything. Being a follower of Jesus may cost you everything. Because it might be that God does say, you know what? The way that you're spending the, your money, you're not really being a good steward of what I have given to you. And really, I do want you to do this. You know, your time, you're not being a good steward of your time. Really, I would like you to invest in other people. And to say yes means this. There's something I'm not going to do that I was doing. And there's something I am going to do because I believe that's what God wants me to do. And so we have to be willing as a follower of Jesus to say, you know what, truly, Everything I have is yours. And matter of fact, uh, that is what is on our something to meditate on in our bulletin. And so again, what was Christ's words? Well, you have to hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and even your very own life to be my disciple. And what did Jesus mean? He didn't mean he wasn't he wasn't sowing hatred amongst Christians. Instead, he was saying this. The number one thing in our life should not be our finances or even our family, but really should be Christ. It should really be the Lord. And really, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, that may cost us everything, but it is all worth it when we see Jesus. So you think about some of the things that people have gone through, missionaries have gone through, I mean, missionaries are very special people. And they're looking forward to one day seeing Christ. And they're looking forward to seeing those people that they minister to to one day see Christ. So let's review. Matthew and Mark are a summary of the first the call of the first disciples. All right. And so it's very it's very easy. Um, Matthew and Mark, they just say, and Jesus called them and they immediately left what they were doing and they followed him. And so we see that Jesus, uh, that Jesus said, follow me, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they followed him. Now, when we begin to dig in a little bit more, and we go to John's account, we find out that uh, some of the disciples actually met Jesus before they were ever called, all right? And so they were introduced to Jesus, and that made a lasting impression on them. When people follow, follow Jesus, their lives are changed. The second thing that we learned is followers of Jesus have purpose. Remember, Peter hadn't done anything yet, or I should say Simon hadn't done anything yet. But that very first time that Jesus met Simon, he changed his name to Peter. He already had a plan for Peter. He already knew what Peter was to do for him. And we have a plan as well. God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. Peter um, may have been, might have been a well-known disciple, but Andrew was equally important in the purpose that God had for him. So don't underestimate God's purpose for you, all right? If God has a purpose for you, it's an important purpose. And then we went to the Gospel of Luke. We saw that richer account of the calling of the first four disciples. And so we see, first of all, followers of Jesus trust jesus 
all right? God is not a small God, okay? Don't think that. We're not trying to make a small God bigger than he really is. Instead, we're more at fault of making a big God smaller than he actually is. And so we need to be careful of that. And so trust God, trust Jesus. And then Jesus used everyday events to teach truth, like fishing, all right? And so it was an amount of trust. Jesus was teaching Peter something that day, and uh, we could use regular events uh, to teach others uh, some good truths in God's word. And then lastly, being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, may cost you everything, but it is all worth it. It's all worth it. One day, we will see Jesus. One day, we will walk on those streets of gold. One day, we will see God. And we'll see one another's in Christ. And you know what? This world will simply be a fleeting memory compared to eternity with God. We have so much to look forward to. Following Jesus is so very important. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the calling of the first uh, disciples. Lord, we think about our own ministry here and, and making disciples, being disciples, really growing in, in grace and knowledge. And, and we understand that making disciples is not simply calling people and then they leave whatever they're doing and, and then they, they want to become followers of Jesus Christ. But instead, what we see here in this account is that Jesus actually started to develop relationships uh, with people. That he, he began to get to know um, Andrew and, and, and John, and through that, he began to get to know other people. And as he began to get to know other people, he called disciples, followers, to be able to listen and hear, and to in turn be able to disciple others. And so, Lord, uh, we, as, as Christians, someone has shared the gospel with us. And there's been a point in our life as Christians where we realize that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and that we do believe that he is that gift from God which brings everlasting life. So, Lord, we have put our faith and trust in that. But, Lord, now as we're growing as Christians, we pray that you'll help us to be sensitive to your spirit and your leading. But not only that, Lord, help us to trust you and help us to encourage people around us. As we think about uh, the, this, these, these four first called disciples, it wasn't the end of discipleship for them. That Jesus Christ did have a purpose. The disciples were to go and make more disciples. And Lord, we are followers of you. We are your disciples called to make disciples. And so, Lord, I don't know how that plays out in our individual lives, but I pray that you would use your spirit, guide us as we serve you in this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.